This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. Good morning and welcome to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. If you were paying attention uh, last week, you may have seen an unbelievable scenario played out in the U.S. House of Representatives. It took 15 votes to elect a new Speaker of the House, something that hasn't happened in 100 years. Republican Kevin McCarthy of California was finally elected after making a host of concessions to a small band of ultra-conservative members. As viewers, all of us got to see debate on the floor of the House. We also got to see how deals are made, not very pretty. And we also saw one representative uh, almost physically attack another. Uh, I did watch a lot of it. It was not a pretty sight, uh, most of it. Uh, Professor Ken Manning, head of the political science department at UMass Dartmouth, also watched some of it. He's joining us this morning to talk about the ramifications of it all. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Good to be with you. So, your reaction overall to last week? Well, it shows us that the Republican Party is a fractious group at this point. They clearly have their differences. The the differences are somewhat ideological. Um, they're methodological. And, of course, there's personality differences. <laughs> I guess. What we... What we, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what we saw clearly was um, a lack of confidence, ultimately, among some in the rank and file in the Republican Party, um, in the party's leadership. And it, it's a minority, but, but it's more than just a handful of folks. You know, ultimately, around 10% of the Republican caucus at one point were, were not on McCarthy's side. And even beyond that 10 percent who are willing to publicly uh, question McCarthy, there's a significant number of Republicans who, frankly, were voting for McCarthy, but, but probably didn't have the greatest confidence in him. So, so there's clearly um, uh, a deep suspicion about the Republican leadership in the House. Uh, ultimately, of course, McCarthy prevailed. He got the votes needed to be speaker. Um, but, but it's going to be tough going for him. Yeah, there's a cost to all of that. Uh, he made some, I'm sure, some uh, significant concessions, uh, and it leaves in question who was really running the House. Is it Kevin McCarthy or Jim Jordan, Matt Getz, uh, and company? Right. So um, so part, all of this, of course, is occurring against the backdrop of a very slim majority of Republicans in the House. Mm-hmm. Um and th- that's the root cause of all of this. And he did have to make concessions, which essentially diffused power uh, out of the Speaker's hands and into the hands of, of key members in the Republican uh, uh, caucus. Um, and you mentioned some of those, like Gates and, and Jim Jordan. Um, and, and that will un- unquestionably make it harder for McCarthy to, to kind of strong arm his his group. Um, and sometimes leaders, uh, either party, but Nancy Pelosi did this certainly among Democrats at times, sometimes leaders in the party do have to strong on their fellow partisans. McCarthy's really going to have a hard time doing that going forward. So leading his fractious caucus is definitely going to present, um, uh, he's going to have some real challenges. What I what puzzled me was why didn't the 190 remaining Republicans, putting aside the 20 uh, We'll call them ultra-conservative members. Why didn't the hundred, the one hundred ninety remaining 
Republicans uh, rise up and, and, and frankly stamp this down. I mean, they are the majority. They are, but and they certainly talk to their colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, many of them, I think, are sympathetic, um, and and they don't want to be publicly criticizing their leadership and certainly get on the bad side of McCarthy. But they are sympathetic to the, to the rebels' concerns about McCarthy, um, uh, and and they were pressuring that that uh, that ten percent or so who were holding out. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the holdouts like Chip Roy. Um, and and Lauren Boebert um, and some others, uh, Gosar of Arizona, um, they they held the ground and they had um, real concerns about the about the dedication of McCarthy and the Republican House leadership to um, to really uh, not be rolled over by the Senate and Mitch McConnell in the Senate and and ultimately accede to um, Democratic Party wishes. Uh, and so, so, so the majority in the Republican caucus was pressuring that minority, but the minority really stood their ground. And, and we saw all of this, of course, play out on television. So uh, it was really extraordinary theater. Um, you're a professor in a local university, UMass Dartmouth. Um, there, are, there are a few teaching moments there, I would imagine, in political science. Oh, you bet. Um, in fact, you know, when I've when I've talked about Congress and how it organizes its leadership, um, I, I, in the past I've talked about how it's, it's very much a behind-the-scenes process, and there are divisions and 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 lots of deal making and and, and arm twisting, et cetera, that occurs. But but most of that occurs behind closed doors. And when it comes time to actually making decisions about who the leaders are going to be, it's kind of a pro forma. Um, a vote, and it's typically unanimous. <laughs> Boy, am I going to have to change that lecture? Yeah, um, because <laughs> all of that got uh, <laughs> completely um, negated by what we just saw in the past week or two. Apparently, uh, the new rules that have been—I'm not sure they've been passed yet, but they, they probably will be passed. Uh, apparently, the new rules will mean. Uh, There'll be a lot more debate, certainly in committee, among many on many bills. Uh, certainly, the big money spending bills. Uh, there's a question now about all of those things, including the debt limit, which is coming up. Um, uh, it's going to threaten a lot of legislation because, you know, there's there's been some there's been some significant, I mean, huge money bills that have been passed recently. For a variety of reason, uh, reasons, a pandemic, uh, you know, uh, help for, for the pandemic, um, uh, help in the recession uh, during the Obama years. Those big money bills have been passed uh, with a minimum of Republican support and uh, huge Democratic support, uh, total like 100 percent support from the Democrats. So, I mean, this is... Uh, it's it's a it's a tightrope. You're going to have to walk. Both McCarthy and leadership are going to have to walk. I think in order to get any big money bills passed. What do you think? It is, and and and, and I, I you know this really delves into kind of the arcane legislative process, and 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 I don't want to put you or your listeners to sleep um, delving into some of this. But but to pass major pieces of legislation. The, the rules committee has to essentially attach what's called a rule to the piece of legislation, 
and and that um, has to that has to go to the floor for a vote. This is all kind of orchestrated. Uh, this whole process is orchestrated by the leadership in cooperation with key uh, uh, members in the party, right? Nancy Pelosi did this very well when she's leading the Democratic Party, which had, by the way, a very slim majority, just like the Republicans did. The difference is is that going forward, McCarthy's going to have to orchestrate this behind-the-scenes legislative process with people who, who aren't going to want to play ball with him. And, and, and he's essentially had to concede to this rebel faction power and control in this legislative process. And th- these folks do not want to, um, to, to, to essentially pass major uh, appropriations bills um, that they want to use leverage to, they think, to force concessions from the White House and spending cuts from Democrats. What this means essentially is that McCarthy and the Republican leadership are going to have a much harder time passing legislation because that whole legislative process that occurs behind the scenes is is not going to be uh, under the thumb of the leadership, um, and that poses all sorts of threats to to you know must pass pieces of legislation. Things like, for example, the defense authorization, uh, which was just passed, but it has to be done every year. Um, it, the Republicans are going to have a real hard time passing a defense spending bill, and and that obviously poses threat to national security. They're going to have a hard time passing um, uh, a continuing resolution just to keep the lights on. Um, these types of things are going to make it very hard to pass bills. You're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. My guest is Professor Ken Manning, the chair of the political science department at UMass Dartmouth. So how much do you think uh, Donald Trump how much influence do you think Trump had in this situation? Um, well, you know, Trump is kind of this background force in the Republicans. Um, I, I, he was not directly involved um, in the, 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 the maneuverings, I should say, in terms of what went on with McCarthy. He publicly endorsed McCarthy. Um, and, and, and he, in some ways, didn't have a dog in this fight directly. Um, and, and I think that because uh, Trump has, a variety, for a variety of reasons, has seen a kind of a decline somewhat in his support and facing, of course, all sorts of mounting legal woes, um, I, 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 don't, I don't think Republicans in the House were taking, uh, taking orders from, from Mar-a-Lago and, and really listening in on, on what Trump had to say here. Uh, he endorsed McCarthy, like I said, and then kind of let, uh, let the House Republicans fight yeah. this out. Uh, so I, I don't think he was directly involved here. Now, that said, no one wants to get on his bad side, so you didn't see a lot of Republicans doing anything really to, to uh, alienate Trump either. All right. I, I did notice that Getz apparently waved off a call uh, from uh, from the former president uh, when things were getting hot and heavy. Right. And, uh, I mean, there's a, <laughs> there was a famous uh, picture of the— uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene yeah, holding out her phone with, out the with phone. Trump on it. Uh, you, you've probably seen that. Um, uh, you, you, Trump, Trump made a call, tr- clearly tried to get folks to rally behind McCarthy. Um, but, a- again, I, I don't think that he had a whole lot of stroke here at the end of the day in terms of what happened on the House floor and how they ultimately resolved this conflict. Um, n- nobody's going to ignore Trump's calls, uh, but, but I don't think folks were taking marching orders from him either. I look at the situation. McCarthy has given away a lot of his power, getting uh, to be speaker. So, if that's the case, really, why do you want to be speaker? Ego? 
What the, what, what's the deal? <laughs> well, because he's still Speaker of the House. Yeah. Well, he's that, still the top dog, right? Yeah, um, right. And the reality of, is, is that while he has conceded quite a bit of power to this rebel faction, he is ultimately Speaker of the House, and he is the House leader. And and he wants to to you know yes enjoy the perks of the office, but of course he wants to be in the room where the, where it happens right and make those decisions. Sure. And if he's not speaker, then he's not. And so you know I, I don't buy this argument of you know well the job's not worth having. No, he still has significant influence. You know, and the reality is ideologically the the, the differences between this rebel faction and kind of the radicals want to blowing things up and. And the leadership are, are not that far off um, uh, in many ways. So from a McCarthy perspective, yeah, it's going to be much harder to lead, but he's still going to lead. And it's not like he's in uh, a titanic ideological battle with these folks either. They disagree on methods. They disagree certainly on, on many policy issues. Um, but, but he figures he'll, he'll try to manage those issues the best he can as, as speaker. I'm going to ask you about the classified papers that were found in the office used by Joe Biden when he served as vice president and at his home in Delaware. Uh, does that affect the, uh, I look at this and I say, gee, this kind of ties the hands of the justice department in their investigation of the classified papers found at Mar-a-Lago. Does it? Well, I don't think so. I think this, this story kind of, kind of flows on two different dimensions. There, there's one, is the legal dimension, and the other is kind of the political public relations dimension. Um, the, the legal public relations dimension in definitely invites equivalency, right? Trump had documents. Uh, uh, Biden had documents. It's the same issue. Uh, ergo, you know, they're, they're, they're both guilty, right? A pox on both their houses. But this is a, a deeply... Um, inaccurate read of the legalities involved here. It's a real false equivalency. And then I go to that second dimension, which is the legal dimension. Um, tr- Trump's situation is, 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 is night and day different than what happened with the Biden situation. The, the, the Biden's lawyers actually discovered these documents. Biden's lawyers notified the National Archives um, that these documents were found at this center at, at, at Penn and then, of course, at, at, at Biden's house vacation house. Um, the number of documents was fairly small. Uh, it, they immediately were per- turned over. Um, there was no, um, uh, there was no subpoenas involved. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Biden White House cooperated fully. You, you compare that to what happened with, with the Trump situation, and, and there were repeated requests from the National Archives to, uh, to the Trump uh, camp to turn over documents that they knew that he had. Um, that the, the, and then we knew that the, the sensitivity of those documents was of the utmost and highest nature. Um, and, and essentially Trump stonewalled and, and didn't turn over those documents. Um, the, there were documents secured at Mar-a-Lago, which, of course, is a resort with, with uh, a long history, frankly, of, of kind of lax security methods by Trump. Um, uh, Biden had some stuff locked up at, a, at an archives in, in, at Penn, and, uh, and, of course, in his personal garage, but this wasn't an area that was generally accessible by the public. Now, again, on the political PR dimension, you say, well, it's, you know, the, if you're, you're splitting hairs here. Well, that's, what that's what Trump's going to say. That's what Trump's going to say. Exactly, for sure. <laughs> right, right. And, and, of course, Republicans will as well. Yeah. Uh, but for, from a legal perspective, it's very different. And so I think that they kind of move, uh, you know, they, they, there's kind of two different layers to this story. 
I don't think it absolves uh, Trump of the legalities involving his situation. But politically, there's no question that this is a problem for the Biden administration, for Democrats in general, because essentially, you know, anytime there's talk of Trump documents, then then Republicans will answer, well, Biden had documents, too. Well, I I think this is a, a political problem for the Biden administration. I don't think it's a legal problem like it is for the Trump, uh, for, for the Trump folks. My guest, Professor Ken Manning, head of the political science department at UMass Dartmouth. Good to speak with you again. Uh, we'll be checking in periodically. Sounds good. Good to talk with you, Jim. Take care. Stay with us. Town Square Sunday returns in just a moment. 